0: Hello, and welcome to show number 2409 of Eyes on Success, a weekly program covering a wide variety of topics of interest to people with vision loss. I'm Nancy goodman Torpe. And I'm Pete Torpey.
1: Since joining DM3P, I just have a more open mindset, and it's helpful to have people by your side that um, can support you and who know what the road is like.
2: And last week, we talked about this organization, and today, we'll talk with some people who are part of the organization.
0: We'll speak with Silpa Tardavarthi, who you just heard, Andrea Landaris, and Bo Barley about their experiences as visually impaired medical professionals and the impact that the Disability and Medical Mutual Mentorship Program has made in their training and careers. But first, for our tip of the week... This week's tip comes from Silpa Tadavarthi.
1: You can add a lot of tools to your toolbox, and as your toolbox is growing, you will feel like a more confident person. You will learn um, that you're able to do a lot of things that you might not have thought were um, helpful to you in the past.
0: And we also have a related tip from Bo Barley about using a specific helpful tool.
3: The medical record software has some ups and downs when using screen readers. And I mean, I think everyone's learned this tip in their daily life, but as your iPhone works incredibly well with most everything and voiceover works really well with the electronic medical record software. And so whenever you're having tech issues, kind of reminding yourself that you always have that as your backup, even if you need to use your computer for certain aspects, you can get a lot done by using that at least as a read-only kind of device for many aspects of what you're doing.
0: Support
2: for Eyes on Success is provided by
0: Biped.ai, whose smart mobility harness can be worn by the blind to warn of obstacles and assist navigating using GPS in a single device. Demonstrations of the Biped device will be given at the CSUN conference March 18th through 22nd. More information is available at Biped.ai. Biped.ai.
1: You are listening to Eyes on Success. Success, 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 success.
0: Let's start by meeting Silpa, Bo, and Andrea in order of how far along they are in their career path. Well, last week, we
2: talked about the Disability in Medical Mutual Mentorship Program, and today, we'll be talking with some of its members and their personal experiences, and we have three guests with us today, and maybe we can start by Silpa having you introduce yourself.
1: Hi, everyone. My name is Silpa Tadavarti. I'm a fourth-year medical student at the Lewis Katz School of Medicine at Temple University in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. Um, I was born with oculocutaneous albinism, so that means there's a lack of pigment in the hair, skin, and eyes, and the lack of pigment in the eyes results in a congenital visual impairment. With glasses, I fall under the visually impaired but not quite legally blind category.
2: And we also have Bo with us. Bo, can you tell us a little bit about yourself?
3: Of course. Thank you for having us. Um, so my name is Bo Barley, and I'm a, a physician. I'm currently in a fellowship in hospice and palliative medicine. and Previously, I had done a hematology oncology fellowship, and right at the conclusion of that, I really quite suddenly lost most of my vision due to a rare optic nerve disease and kind of some time to figure out how to adapt and use all the adaptive technology needed to really figure out how to to work again in medicine. And the group that you've mentioned was a big part of that for me.
0: So for those of you who don't know, a fellow, that's the stage after doing a residency, but before becoming an independent physician.
3: Exactly.
2: And we also have Andrea with us. Andrea, tell us a little bit about yourself.
4: Hello. Thank you for having us again. Um, Exciting opportunity. So I'm Andrea Landeris and I am practicing in my first year as an attending stroke neurologist at Mount Sinai Icon School of Medicine. And I had a little bit of a roundabout entrance into the world of being a physician. Um, I was born with Usher syndrome, 2A, and what that is, is retinitis pigmentosa with a bilateral sensorineural hearing loss. So what does that mean? I have tunnel vision, essentially. I can see really well through the center. I can read like 2040, 20, 2060, 20, but my peripheral vision and my night vision is In a low vision, legal blind category. I wear two hearing aids, so I'm not deaf, but I'm not fully hearing. I didn't know I had these disabilities until I failed hearing screenings and later on had vision issues as an adolescent. And initially went through a career as a speech pathologist for about 10 years. And for my love for taking care of my patients and wanting to better my education to better advocate for them, I... Worked my way toward a transition to medicine. This is my first year as a practicing stroke neurologist. I also have three children and I'm married. And um, I work very closely in a medical school to work on the curriculum for those rotating through neurology on medical education. And I hope to shine a light on disability and, and opening this space for people to be your colleagues as well. <laughs>
0: Eyes on Success connects corporate sponsors with visually impaired listeners around the world. More information
2: about becoming a sponsor can be found at www.sponsor.eyesonsuccess.net.
0: This week's focus topic is Silpa Tadavarthi and Bo Barley and Andrea Lendaris's experiences doing their training and practicing as physicians with visual impairments.
2: I think what's interesting about the range of guests we have today is that you see that some people have these issues from a long time ago, maybe since they were born or not, but then often situations change. Your vision can change or some other capabilities can change, and you've all had different experiences there. But one thing that's interesting about the DM3P program is that it connects people who might otherwise not be connected. I wonder if we can start by talking a little bit about a feeling of isolation and not knowing what resources are available. Can I do this with the particular limitation that I have?
3: I found that to be, I, I really suddenly found myself with vision loss right when I was about to take the next big step in my a, a journey of, a, of my career. And I was lost in every way. It was lost in how to use the phone and every other thing that happens when you have vision loss, especially suddenly. Uh, I was finding my way towards some resources, but even the resources that were really good at some things were not necessarily as helpful at finding resources for me to figure out how would I then navigate a path back towards medicine. And when you've spent a long time training and towards a particular career, it's hard to picture kind of doing other things, especially if you really still think it's the right thing for you. You just have to figure out how. And that isolation was really difficult. And that's that's the part of the Disability and Medicine Mutual mentorship program I've liked the most, which is how much I've learned from people, even with disabilities that are extremely different than my own, because what helps so much is finding your ways and how do you get accommodations and how do you adapt or create environments that adapt to you. And that those are the parts that helped me the most is the things that pulled you out of the isolation and let you realize that without knowing it there were actually a lot of other people doing this in different ways
0: so one thing that strikes me is I know Silpa you're still in your general training, but both Andrea and Bo have selected fields that don't rely on so much visual acuity you know being a pathologist or a radiologist would be really difficult. Was that intentional? And what was your thought process?
4: I would actually counter that a bit just because being a stroke neurologist means that I am working in a very high sensitive, time sensitive circumstance. So when I was a resident, it was clinically examining the patient. And if you think about what I tell students, an EKG leads you to a vessel in the heart to see if it's impaired. So In neurology and stroke, you're doing a clinical exam to see if you can localize that to a vessel. And then I have to rapidly look at brain imaging to see if there is a clot or a lesion, see if there's subtle signs of ischemic changes, right? So signs that there's a stroke. And what I learned from that is what the vision I do have, the acuity, the central vision, I can't look at the scan in the same way as, say, my colleague does, where they can see the whole brain at the same time. So I have to go through a rapid systemic process to make sure I've seen the sequence, I've contrasted it to the other side, look for asymmetries and subtle changes. So for me, I kind of still am in a vision-dependent area, but it's about understanding the clinical piece and maximizing what you do have to use tools, whether they're cognitive and or physical, to still do the job.
2: Are there any special devices that you use to facilitate what you're doing?
4: It's taken trial and error. When I'm on service, I have my touchscreen computer, that's a desktop. And I have my iPad next to me on my left so that I have the app that we all use, all the stroke neurologists use. Um, that's an AI system. And I can with finger touch do contrast changes, go through sequences. And then I have my phone next to me for rapid texting and communication and phone call. Picture like a pilot, right? Like I have a dashboard set up. One of the things I feel liberated in being in an attending role is that I finally understood I need to understand what the job is. And then you can kind of work through what your solutions are. And when I came to Sinai, the team that worked with me. We had a big Zoom call and it was like, okay, and the, Bo and I have talked about this and so we had someone who did my job join the call. And so you can walk through the workflow and then you can brainstorm together, oh, where might there be a hiccup? For me, I hand coordination using a mouse is time consuming. I lose the mouse tip all the time. But if I have a touch screen, it just takes that right out of it. And I can use my hand and touch the screen and jump in the electronic medical record, for example. So Bo and I have talked about that maybe as a proactive way, regardless of where you are in your training, get someone who does the job to walk through the workflow. Because only you understand your vision. It's really hard to know what's going to come ahead and what you're going to be expected to do.
3: And I think that gets to one of the hardest parts about medical training in some ways with a lot of disabilities is The training is exceedingly fragmented, where there's so many different rotations, all with different people that you then have to disclose your disability, introduce yourself to, and they're all in different settings, perhaps different hospitals, but all very different settings. And you have to then figure out, not knowing ever before this, any of it yourself, what would be the right accommodations to work in different environments. And you have to then kind of coordinate either through disability professionals who might not actually know that much about medical education because they might be a part of a big university system and help with all sorts of education or with people that maybe are in the medical education world who it may be hit or miss whether they have much of a sense of how to best help you with your particular disability needs.
0: So, Silpa, you're still in medical school. Does that describe your current experience as well?
1: Yes. So, um, as Bo mentioned, every rotation is quite different from one another. And you switch rotations every four to eight weeks or so. So, um, you're constantly rotating through all these different environments. And so um, one of the accommodations for me was actually to rotate it through all of my rotations at our main medical hospital and not go to any of our um, ancillary hospitals. And I think that made a very big difference because I was very used to the hospital, the setup. All of the inpatient floors are pretty much set up the same way. And that definitely was a great accommodation I had. And then another very vital accommodation was having something called a walkthrough before each rotation. So perhaps a month before I would go on to my ICU rotation, for example, I would meet with um, two individuals from the medical education administration um, side of um, the medical school, and then as well with the clerkship director. And then I had an individual called an access assistant. So somebody who was with me 24-7 while I'm on the floors in the hospital. And we would all physically walk through the spaces that I would need to be in during that IC rotation. So what the patient rooms look like, what the um, hallways look like, where the computers will be. I'm very photophobic. So we would take note of where some of the more brightly lit places would be and how I could accommodate myself. Something that came out of that um, walkthrough was not only getting an idea of what the physical space is like, coming up with accommodations that are specific to that rotation. It also took a lot of anxiety out of starting each rotation. And I was able to ask the clerkship director any questions I had before starting the rotation. And we would come up with um, accommodations and talk through, like, how am I going to be able to do that and meet the objectives of the rotation?
2: So one concept that comes across very strongly here is that If you do have a disability, first of all, you have to be an advocate for yourself and you have to be familiar with a variety of tools to accommodate a variety of situations. But it sounds like in addition to that, this organization of which you're all members has been very useful in order to share ideas and working methods with other people.
4: So I would agree to that 100%. You had initially asked Pete about the isolation and... I entered medical school and I was 36. I've been comfortable with what I was able to do. But when you have grown up in a culture that thankfully is now changing, that it was within the medical model of understanding disability, there's a physician and a patient boundary, and it's us and them. And you're impaired, and you'll forever be a patient. So Part of the isolation is this self-identity of how am I going to cross that barrier and be a physician, or how do I straddle both sides long-term? And for me, joining the DM3P is just feeling less alone. You know, there's people with many different um, challenges, so mental health is a big piece too. So the heartwarming part is that we all found each other. The harder part sometimes is hearing each other's stories from across the nation. And the reality is we're at the mercy of someone's compassion, whether it's your program director, whether it's your institution, whether it's your department. And on the flip side of that, when you're met with resistance from those same people, you're in a, a stuck place. And in order to become a practicing physician, you need the training. And it's very hard to kind of fight together and fight alone, if you will, to try and navigate through this path. But at least the DM three P is the space where we're we're trying to pull together our emotional and um kind of visual resources and legal resources.
0: Bo, you're nodding and smiling like crazy. Do you have something to add to this?
3: Oh, I it's just fun to hear your friends talk also, because Part of this has also been finding people that you then become friends with and you know right where they're coming from. But I I do agree that it's hard to know what resources you need just as a regular medical student going through medical school with all the difficulties. And then when you have needs that are going to make certain parts of it more difficult in some way or another, it's even harder to know what resources would even be helpful. And I think probably anybody in the visually impaired community has started a new job. And like requested a resource, and then felt bad if they didn't use it, or if that wasn't the resource you know that was going to be helpful. But now you're in in medical training, you might be in a place where every three weeks is a different rotation or something like that. And then related to that is just I, I I really use screen readers a lot, and I mean all day every day. Uh, and getting those to work with the electronic medical record systems was a very big effort. And then once you do, you realize, oh, other people, of course, are trying to do this or, or doing this as well. And so sharing that kind of technical knowledge, which I guess we all become technical experts on things, even if we're not that computer savvy of how to get things to work. So that's been a big part of, I think, some of the advantages of the group is sharing which things work. And we kind of, even if it's all different hospital systems, a lot of the computer issues are very similar uh, and workflows are similar.
2: Well, sometimes just knowing a problem is solvable or has been overcome by somebody else makes it a lot easier to find a solution that fits your own needs, too.
3: Exactly. I mean, I spent a couple of years just thinking, certainly I could still be a doctor. Right. But not really knowing that. And and yes, I agree.
2: You know, I was also thinking when you were first talking, you talked about some of these rehab services. And this has been my experience, too. I was partially blind until just before starting graduate school, at which point I lost all of my vision. And these rehab services are certainly around, but they're not going to train you to acquire the skills to be a physicist as a blind person. And I can imagine certainly it's the same for medicine and some other professions that are very specialized.
3: That was my experience where they are both exceedingly helpful at some parts, but then they, you know, don't know what it is to be a doctor or don't know how a health system works. And it's hard to even describe the nature of what my normal computer workflow would be as a doctor in a hospital, so that you can brainstorm, you know, how would the technical stuff work? And especially, I'd only just become blind. And it was very difficult because I didn't really ever think about oh, how are the computer systems all working? I just sat down and used the computers as, as one does. And to trying to understand what the systems were so I could figure it out. And, and some of the areas that, that, that was actually really helpful was, it was scary and hard, but I, you know, just calling the corporate offices of like electronic, the main electronic medical record company that most places use. And they were extremely helpful. And they would just, the heads of thing, you know, departments there would just sit down on the phone with you and explain like, oh no, we've, We've worked with JAWS before. We know how to do it. Every place is its own institution, so we can work with them one-on-one with you. And those parts were, made it less scary because they, even if it wasn't common, they could tell you, nope, we've done this before, and it's a problem we can figure out together.
2: We talked a bit about the importance of being your own advocate and knowing what you need, because other people won't know what specific needs you want. And DM3P can certainly help you with that through their community and the network of people involved in the program, and it can give you more confidence to be your own advocate. But I'm wondering in what ways DM3P might or might not help you more directly with some of the institutional issues and reaction from colleagues or just the whole process itself?
4: So I think there's this model they have, because we kind of go across the whole country, where there's social hours before and social hours after, and they have a topic or lecture. So like, we are being empowered with knowledge, we are being empowered with um, kind of knowing your rights. And then on those offside conversations, I think we try to develop individual connections and maybe we follow up offline. You know, I know I've personally spoken to some members outside and tried to brainstorm. Okay, your institution has unions for residents. Reach out to your union leader or have you you've spoken to the disabilities office but the disabilities office is talking to so and so and you're not in the room. You need to get in the room.
2: Well, then, of course, that's kind of the other service that you people are providing, which is really good. You know, if there's one visually impaired person in an organization, that kind of breaks the barrier for the second one and et cetera, et cetera. So just having the role models around and the kind of can-do attitude and the success stories makes it easier for people to even think about such professions.
4: I was just going to add another fun part of that, Pete, is that Once we find solutions, oftentimes it's because we need to decrease the visual demand of my job. You've reduced that workload for me. Guess what? My resident, my colleague, they would benefit from that too. So usually finding these shortcuts for us can benefit everybody else around us. It doesn't have to be a make an exception for me kind of attitude.
2: I agree. I think often designs that work well for us work even better for sighted individuals.
1: Is there anything we missed? Yes, yeah, Silpa? I've always wanted to be a physician. And so having been born with albinism um, from a young age, I was also always like, sourcing through the albinism community to try to find other individuals who had pursued medicine, who had um, visual impairments similar to my own. And so Uh, Myself and two other physicians um, created this group called Doctors with Albinism and another group called Health Professionals with Albinism. And... Um, the purpose of the group was to try to provide some hope for people with albinism um, that you can pursue medicine and be successful in this um, career. And the same with other um, allied health professions. And so it was great to be able to go to those other individuals and ask them, okay, did you use a monocular to see this? Did you use the CCTV? Did you use text to speech? Um, I think DM3P for me particularly helped in terms of pointing out accommodations that maybe the typical person with albinism might not use. So talking to both, it's always at the back of my mind, like you should remember to try to use text-to-speech more. It's going to help decrease your visual load. It's going to help you work faster.
2: I congratulate you guys on the work you're doing and the careers that you chose to pursue despite the challenges. And it's a great organization that you have to help other people too. So thanks for joining us this week.
3: Thank you.
1: Thank you. You are listening to Eyes on Success. 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 Success.
0: Success. Now for this week's final item, how to learn more about the Disability in Medicine Mutual Mentorship Program and other organizations that provide support to medical professionals and others with vision loss, as well as how to contact them.
2: Well, we just talked with three people who are part of the Disability and Medical Mentorship Program, and I was hoping that one of you could tell us how to contact that organization.
3: Yeah, there's a website for the organization, which is disabilitymedmentors.org, or you can Google it, which usually corrects all the spelling errors that you might have. That's the main way to to find it. Once you go there, there's a way to sign up and join our, our monthly meetings, which are on Zoom usually the third Wednesday of a month and then there's some associated uh, ways to get in touch with people through discord or LinkedIn groups uh, that you can get access to from there
4: I just would want to add that if you're considering joining and if your hesitation is that you're not sure how open or public you want to be about your disability that it's a very confidential group and We do not disclose names. We do not disclose institutions. So if you are isolated or feeling that, hey, you want to check it out, um, please know that your privacy is of the utmost importance.
0: Silpa, you mentioned a couple of organizations specifically for people with albinism and vision issues. Can you give contact information for those?
1: Yeah, sure. You can um, go to Facebook and just type in doctors with albinism or "healthcare professionals with albinism. And um, please fill out the um, questions that you're asked. And we somebody is looking at the member requests every day and um, we'll accept your request.
0: If anybody had a question for each of you, would there be a way they can reach you? As far as someone to reach me,
4: um, more than happy to share my email, which is my name, Andrea dot at M S S M dot E-D-U. Bo?
3: My personal email is Bo, which is B-O period Barley, B-A-R-L-E-Y, like the grain at gmail.com.
1: And Silpa? Yeah, my personal email is my first name, um, Silpa, and my last name, Tadavarthi. At gmail.com.
2: You can find all that information in the show notes associated with this episode, which is episode 2409, at our website, www.eyesonsuccess.net.
0: That's it for today's show. Next week on Eyes on Success, we'll be talking about the HABLE-1 keyboard, which is an external keyboard designed to make using a smartphone simpler and more convenient for those with visual impairments. We'll talk with Frank von Welsenis, co-founder of HABLE, about the intuitive design of this pocket-sized device and how it can be used to control your smartphone and also enter braille text.
2: Thanks for joining us this week, and we hope you'll join us next week to learn about the HABLE device.
0: You've been listening to Eyes on Success, hosted and produced by Nancy Goodman Torpey and Peter Torpey. You can access
2: the full archive of previous shows, subscribe to the podcast, and much more by going to our website, www.eyesonsuccess.net. If you have questions about anything you've heard on the show or have suggestions for future shows, send an email to hosts at eyesonsuccess.net. Thank you for listening and have a nice day.